We begin a new sermon series today, and I'm, it's going to be good. Uh, and I know it sounds like bragging, but I, I'm just discovering things in the Bible that, that I, I didn't know about. And I'll just start with the definition that you just saw. Incarnation means a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, spirit, or abstract quality, according to the dictionary. In Christianity, the incarnation is the fact that we believe that God became man. God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. The incarnation is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. Um, you can think of it this way. This will be the, the reminder. Uh, if you're like, what's incarnation again? What did he say it is? Uh, think of chili con carne. That's chili with flesh. That uh, doesn't make it sound very appetizing, but chili with meat, right? And, and when we talk about the incarn, see that? Asian, we are talking about God taking on flesh. We are talking about God coming in the person of Jesus. I mean, I just... just, just Think about this. I should have just amazed you with what I already said. You should have just been amazed. I mean, think about this. Just this sentence. I just want you to put it in your heads and just be blown away. God became a man. I mean, that is like an incredible truth. It doesn't, if I'm just being honest, it doesn't really like makes sense. It's not something that I can just understand. It's not something I'll probably ever be able to wrap my head around. It's not something that I can explain perfectly well. I mean, this is like one of the, the giant statements that any person has ever made that God became man. John 1.1, 1, 1, speaking about Jesus, said the word was God. And then in John 1.14, it says the word became flesh. There it is. God became flesh in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now here's, here's the thing. Here's, this is where this sermon series is, is coming from. I've been a Christian a long time, and I've celebrated a lot of Christmases, and the truth is, this is real, I, I would die before I would deny that Jesus, when he be, that Jesus became a man, that God became a man. I think that is something to go to the stake over. I think that is something to be stoned over. I, I believe that the scripture has taught that, that our God became a human being, and, and his name was Jesus, and I'm willing to die for that, but if you're getting way down into my soul and my emotions and my feelings and my thoughts, while I believe that and I would even die for it, I don't think, like, it's very important to me, at least before studying for this sermon series. I, I mean, I think, and I see this around other Christians, in other Christians, I see this in Christian circles, <coughs> I think that like we want to really say, well, Jesus was God, and that's a big deal, and I, I really am excited about that, and I need to prove that to you, and I need to talk about how Jesus was God, and I believe that, but we, we don't often really care that, that Jesus was man, and it was God embodying man, it was God being man. It's like it's not as big of a deal to us. It's like, well, his divinity, the divinity of Jesus was a huge deal, but the humanity, like, I'm a human. 
I mean, who really cares that Jesus was a man and fully a man? I mean, why does it really matter if God took on flesh? That doesn't seem like such a big deal. And some of you this morning, like when we started singing Christmas music, I know in your head you're like, oh my goodness, already? Some of you, it's like, really? Like, I, this, I mean, Christmas is cool, and, but come on, it's a little too early to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Let's like, you know, stick to his divinity and, you know, and stick to the other stuff for a while. And it's interesting because I think you're right. Like how often you sit around and think about Jesus being fully human, how big of a deal it is that God would become a human. That's very low on our theological Christian totem pole. I said Christian and totem pole all in the same sentence. That kind of weirded me out. But you know what I'm saying. And so it's just like this, this crazily big, huge statement. God became a man, but yet something, at least in the Christian circles I've grown up in, that's really just not that big a deal to us. Yeah, well, Jesus was God. Really, let's emphasize the God part and not the fact that Jesus was a man. And you see this pretty clearly in art. We want to put up a few pictures here. And, uh, and you see the halo on Jesus' head. And This is how we sometimes think of Jesus as this glowing substance. You can just click through them. And you, you see that we have this like concept, even in Jesus' birth, that he like came out with a halo. Uh, and it was like he was glowing and everything was magical. And we kind of just skip over in our thinking like he was a baby, like God. I mean, God was a baby. Have you ever met a baby? They're like, they stink and they cry a lot and they hit my dog and they are not very bright at all. They're kind of dumb. And they don't do anything for themselves, and they're helpless, and if you drop them, it's a big, big deal. And like, I mean, this is, these are babies, and I like them a lot, but just think about this, this little smelly, helpless little creature that, that we know as a baby. I mean, God took that form. Now, here's, here's the reason. Here's why I think we would rather we more often, whatever it might be, think of Jesus with a halo and he came out and he didn't poop in his diaper and he didn't stub his toe and he never cried. No crying he made. We'll sing that at some point this Christmas. It's the most ridiculous Christmas line in any Christmas song ever because it's, we're not singing it. We're not singing it. Do we sing that already this morning? That wasn't in there. We're not singing it um, because it's stupid. It's a stupid line because it shows exactly what I'm trying to show you as a problem in our thinking. Like, well, sure, Jesus was God, that humanity thing, yeah, we believe that, and that's, you know, it's heresy to say anything else, but who really cares? I mean, every, well, I'm a man. It would have been, it's not a big deal. And here's why I think it is. Here's what I think this kind of cool God became man, whatever attitude, kind of, I think, where it comes from, at least in me. And maybe this will kind of speak for you too, but, but at least in me. I get why it's a big deal that Jesus is God. But sometimes, I don't really get why it's a big deal, at least before studying for this series, for Jesus to be a man. I mean, I get that, like, in order to save us, this is what Christianity believes, like, God needed to come to earth and, 
And in Jesus, this man, he was able to be perfect and sinless because he was God. And therefore, he was able to live this, this perfectly sinless life. And eventually, because he was sinless, he could pay for our sins because he didn't have any sins that he needed to pay for himself. And so like, I get that. I think that's a big deal. And, and I can be like, well, it's a big deal. Jesus was God because of the miracles. And it's a big deal that we, we fight and hold to Jesus being God because people want to discredit that. And if they discredit that, then it discredits the Bible. But almost every intelligent human being on the earth that's older than a baby and can have rational thoughts uh, believes that Jesus was a man that lived and walked on the earth. And so it's not like unique to Christian circles. And so I get why like I need to fight and argue and, and, and really hold and cling tight to Jesus being God because I'm unique in that. As a Christian person, I'm unique in that thinking that, that there was a God man. But I, I'm not unique in believing that Jesus was a man. Everybody kind of believes that. There's very, 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 very few people in the world who say, yeah, Jesus never really existed. That's like not a thing. It used to be a thing. It's not a thing anymore. Like Jesus was a man who walked the earth, the most influential man ever to live. Everybody just kind of believes that now. And so it's easy for me to be like, yeah, I have to like get my arms around this and understand and think about Jesus being God, because we believe he's God and man both fully. I mean, I get this, but why? Why? Does it really matter if he was fully human except for the Bible tells me so? I mean, why does it really matter if he cried or stubbed his toe or felt pain the way that I feel it? I mean, why does it really matter? I mean, God could have just come down here with some magic or something, you think, because Jesus was God. He could just come down here with some magic. He didn't need to live and watch his parents, one of his parents die and probably his grandparents die. I mean, why was that a big deal? And I think, I think, even when you're singing Christmas songs and you're going through the Christmas season, it's really cool to think about like, oh yeah, Jesus, I love him. I'm glad he came because he's God who came to earth. He's God. And then you celebrate that and get excited about that. And eventually he's going to die for me on Good Friday. And then he's going to raise again. And so we'll talk about that during Christmas even. But like to really celebrate, God became man. God took on flesh. It's difficult because I don't think we understand why it matters. Here's the really cool thing. This is where the sermon series is coming from. But when I started, I just, uh, this is, I don't, I admit so much when I preach. Uh, uh, I was told not to confess sins. These are not sins. Uh, it was in my preaching class. But I, I just, I give you everything right here. It's like behind the scenes while you're looking at the front of the scenes. Um, anyway, uh, whatever that means. Uh, but like when I picked this sermon series, it's like, uh, just months ago, I, I make a year-long calendar in July and, and it's like, Oh my goodness, I've been in this whole preaching thing now for about four solid years to adults and I'm out of ideas for Christmas. What am I going to do? And that was kind of, this is where it started. This is where it originated. And I, I'm just like, there's got to be some Christmas passages in Hebrews and nobody ever talks about those. So I start Googling and I'm like, is there Christmas passages in Hebrews? The same things you would have Googled, no seminary educated Google searching or anything like that. But I, I just, I started to see these passages and it became clear to me that the book of Hebrews, perhaps more than anywhere else in the entire Bible, says, hey, 
you need to understand this is why it is a big deal that God became a person. And over the next four weeks, including this morning, we're going to look at these passages of scriptures that teach us different things. Only one of them is really going to be about Jesus dying, and so that's going to be different because sometimes we skip right to that. That's going to be important. That's going to be one of them. But the other three are going to be like things that I, maybe you've never thought about. Like, oh, that is kind of a big deal. Maybe I should, over at least the next four weeks as I celebrate Christmas, actually be impressed by one of the greatest statements that anybody in the world has ever made, that God who created everything, he's bigger than everything you could imagine, he has ultimate power, ultimate authority, he can see everywhere, became a baby. Now here's what you need to understand. We're about to begin. We're going to look at the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's really fascinating because right at the beginning, I was going to preach on 14 verses. And then I started to study the first four. And, and this is, I saw, there are like nine or ten different topics that come up in the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. And they are all connected to why it's a big deal that Jesus, that God became a person. Now here's the other thing. The book of Hebrews, uh, many believe, was crafted by a person who really understood like how to write in the Greek and Roman fashion. And he's writing, in some people's minds, like a, a long sermon that he's going to deliver in pen form. It's supposed to be kind of sermon-like. And so he writes this introduction, these first four verses, in a very Greco-Roman way in order to say, like, here's what I'm going to bring up. It's like an introduction. We bring up our main points in an introduction. But it's even more because it, it really sets the tone and begins to help you kind of understand what the writer of Hebrews wants you to understand. Here's the other part you need to understand about the, just the book of Hebrews in general. It's, it's very important in this first four verses, in these first four verses, that you understand that one of the primary themes of the book of Hebrews, super, who's read the book of Hebrews? Many of you. Who has felt like, I don't really understand what he's saying as you read the book of Hebrews? Because that's how I feel. There's two books in the Bible, Isaiah, which is beautiful, and, and I like it a lot. And it's like, well, that sounds really smart, man. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it just sounds good. And the book of Hebrews is the one in the New Testament where I'm like reading, I'm like, oh, yeah, like Melchizedek, baby. Like, that's a name in the book of Hebrews if you're one of the people who haven't read it. And it's like... I don't know who that guy is, you know? And then like all these sacrifices, it feels like you need like to open the Old Testament the whole time and have like a dictionary with you and a thesaurus and like you need to have a full understanding of the Hebrew language and about Old Testament rituals in order to kind of have a clue what's going on. And so in the book of Hebrews, it's kind of hard to understand, but this is the major theme. One of the major themes is this, that God communicates with people. And he has chosen now in the last days to do it through his son, Jesus. We're going to see this in the first verse, the very first verse of the book of Hebrews. But when you study the book, now from now on, when you read the book of Hebrews, you can have that in mind. One of the key themes of this book is that God wants to communicate with me. One author said, God has spoken is basic to the whole argument of the epistle, the letter Hebrews, and to the Christian Faith. We believe that. As Christians, I believe that, that God has spoken to people. And the book of Hebrews wants to get this in your mind, that God has spoken through Jesus. And this is what he says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. 
at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's kind of a normal little verse right there. It's kind of there, but it's super important. Because he first says in the past, and he's referring to every moment before Jesus, every moment that, that people existed on this earth before Jesus, he says, God spoke to us through the prophets. And there's a couple of things that he says about this form of communication between God and people. He says, first of all, that it happened at many times. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that, that God spoke periodically. And his speaking was temporary to a group of people. It was for a group of people at a certain time. God would come. He would make a person his mouthpiece. And then they would communicate a truth to a people and say, this is what you need to know from God. And then they wouldn't hear from God for a while. In fact, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there had been a 400-year period where the people had not heard anything from God. And so the writer of Hebrews says, look, 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 God used to speak through prophets, men who spoke the word of God into people's lives, and, and it was something that was periodic. It happened here, it happened there, but you never knew when you were going to get it. He also says that it came in various ways. And when you go to the Old Testament, if you just did like a study on the Old Testament of God speaking, you would see like a whole bunch of ways that God spoke. I mean, he spoke in exhortations and commands and stories and visions and dreams and mighty acts and theophanies and a still small voice. I mean, God speaks in the Old Testament in like so many ways it's unbelievable. I'm sure it was difficult at times. Like, was that really God or was that just the wind, you know? I mean, it could have been God. And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at right up front is that while it was cool that God spoke in the Old Testament, it wasn't the greatest form of communication. The Life Application Commentary says, the older revelation was expansive but incomplete. By contrast, the revelation of these last days has come to us, the receptors of the Christian message. It constitutes God's climatic communication to humanity and has been brought via God's Son. That is, rather than being fragmentary and varied, it may be considered whole, focused in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, what the writer is saying is, look, God spoke through the prophets in the old days and it was fragmented, and it was varied, and, and you never knew what you were going to get, and you never knew when it was going to come. But now, in these last days, which is including every moment from the first Christmas until the moment you sit here right now, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. Now, you might say, like, why didn't... The whole why the Old Testament did it all why didn't God just skip that? And I want to make clear that, that that it wasn't like the Old Testament became unimportant when Jesus came. In fact, the book of Hebrews is just littered with with tons of Old Testament uh, passages and and references and ideas, like I said earlier. And, and so the writer of Hebrews is not saying like the Old Testament didn't matter, anything that happened before Jesus. It was God was doing a bad job of communicating. He's simply saying that the old message, everything that happened up to the point of Jesus was incomplete. But in the coming of Jesus, we have the whole, complete, perfect message of God to people. Some authors talk about it in terms of continuity and discontinuity. It's continuous because God has continued to speak it to us 
but it's discontinued because God has now said, look, I'm speaking in a new, totally different way. I'm going to come in the person of Jesus. The New International Commentary on the New Testament said, his word was not completely uttered until Christ came. But when Christ came, the word spoken in him was indeed God's final word. And the New Interna- the same commentary says, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ. Listen to this. This is a big deal. And we don't often think about this. God becoming man is a big deal because it's, the new way, the better way, the perfect way in which God has chosen to speak to people. Now this is how I've thought of it as I've thought about this passage of scripture and and we're about to see in the next three verses like why it is so much better, this new form of communication. But But I've been thinking about it like this, like you ever had a conversation via the internet or a text message, then you know kind of what I think the writer of Hebrews is saying. And like when you're talking to somebody via text, you can't really sense their emotion. You can't really get a feel for what they're saying or what they're expressing or how they're saying it. You can't read body language. You don't really get who they are. If you've ever met somebody online before you met them in person, then it's like really awkward when you meet them for the first time because you're like, are you the same? Are you different? I don't really know how to act with you. We kind of, if you've ever developed like a deeper relationship before you meet somebody in person, it's like, well, I feel like we're pretty good friends at this point, but here we are, you know, and is there anything to talk about and how's this going to work? And it's kind of just this awkward thing and you eventually get over it. And I think that the writer of Hebrews is kind of saying like, in the past, you were sitting around waiting for an email from God. But in the coming of Jesus, you got a direct message because he came down to communicate with you. And then he's going to go on. And this is, this is what makes it so much better. This is like what makes an in-person meeting versus an email or a Facebook message or a text message. Here's what he says in Hebrews 1, 2 through 4. This is speaking about Jesus still. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. The author gives us seven reasons that this new form of communication is better than the old form of communication where God spoke in fragmentary, uh, difficult ways to understand at times. And here they are. He first says that Jesus was appointed heir of all things. Now, when we think of heir, we think of like somebody dying and then somebody else getting their stuff, their heir, right? Uh, That word there that's translated heir can mean that, but it's better to understand it as somebody who takes complete uh, control of something or permanent control of something. It is the transmission of property and the way that it's used in the Old Testament uh, Greek version is that it was used for the Israelites when they came into the promised land. They came in and they divided up the land and this word for heir was, was used in connection to what they inherited, what they got. This is your portion of land. 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 And here we read that Jesus has taken permanent possession of all things. 
Well, if that's not good enough, if you're like, well, who cares? That doesn't really help me with the communication. Listen to what he says next. Through him, the universe was made. It's a big deal. John 1, 1 through 3 tells us the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. That has been made. Jesus made everything. And then he became a baby. This form of communication is better because Jesus is the creator of you. And who better understand how to communicate with you than the person who created you? I mean, Jesus isn't just a baby that was born some time ago. He was there before the world began creating you and I and everything that you see. And then he takes it a step forward. It's going to get even better. Because he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Radiance carries with it the idea of intense brightness. It's like the radiance from the sun. You see the light. And one author said this, Just as the radiance of the sun reaches this earth, so in Christ the gloriousness of the Lord shines into the hearts of men and women. The exact representation is a Greek word that was a reference to an instrument that you would engrave something with, and eventually it became uh, used. It started to be used as the the actual engraving, and the word would have been used for the imprint that was on a coin. And the imprint is exactly like the thing that's printing it, that is engraving it. And so, what the author is saying is that Jesus, being God Himself is just like his Father in heaven. Now, I need to pause there, and I need to tell you what we believe. If you're not a Christian, if you're not caught up, we believe in something called the Trinity. It's important to understand. We believe that God is in three beings being one God. I know that sounds ridiculous and difficult to understand. If you want to read 80 pages on it, Matt, who made the noise a few minutes ago in the back, uh, wrote a thesis on it recently. It's very difficult to understand the thesis and the Trinity. Uh, But it's our belief that there are three beings that constitute one God. You go, well, that's mysterious. Well, that's what Matt's paper is all about, is the mystery of the Trinity. We don't really understand it, but it is what we believe. And so in Jesus, we think that the second person of this Trinity, the second being in this Trinity, became a human being. And he is the exact representation of the Father, who's also part of the same triune God. And so when you look at Jesus, you look at God. There's no better form of communication. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, there was a guy named Philip who walked around with Jesus, and, and Philip, at the, near the end of Jesus' life, says to Jesus, hey, just show us the Father. Show us God, and then we'll understand, and we'll be all right. And Jesus just looks back at him and goes, don't you know me? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like you're saying, like, if God would just talk to us, a common like thing, right? Don't we say that? Like, if God would just speak to me, some people use that for the excuse to not become a Christian. If God would just, you know, show me something, we use it as Christians. If God would just tell me something about how He wants me to live my life, then I would do it. And and, and here, and in the words of Jesus elsewhere, like, hey, if you've seen Jesus, if you can read the story of Jesus then God has spoken to you because Jesus is the exact representation of his glory. 
continues. He sustains all things by his powerful world. This is not like Atlas holding the globe, if you know that. The word actually is about dynamic progression of creation and how Jesus is managing it to the end that, that God wants to get it to. That doesn't mean he dictates every moment of your life, but God, through Jesus, is directing the world to reach its climax when he returns and he brings all who have given their lives to him into heaven. It says that he provided purification for sins. And this is something that we'll talk about in length next week. He provided purification for our sins. He saved us from our sins. He removed our sins from us. We believe as Christians that God came to earth in part so that he might die, like I explained earlier, so that we might have our sins removed through his sacrifice. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's an allusion to Psalm 110 verse 1. And it's the most, maybe the most important psalm as far as New Testament writers are concerned. If you were to look in the New Testament and say, well, I'm going to try to find every verse uh, that's from the Old Testament, the New Testament, you would find Psalm 110 verse 1 more than any other verse in the entire New Testament. The writers of the New Testament, the new part of the Bible, thought that this verse was absolutely essential and they used it in a ton of different ways. But here they're using it to describe the fact that Jesus has been raised to sit at the right hand of the Father, the Majesty. The right hand is a reference of showing honor or power to somebody. And so what it is saying is that Jesus is ultimately honored now and he's ultimately in control now, John 17, 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, Jesus was born a couple thousand years ago, but he existed before that in the perfection of heaven. And when he came to earth, he took away that perfection from himself. He allowed for himself to live on this planet, which isn't that good, and he veiled his deity he didn't use all of his powers to make his life perfect and comfortable. But now, that little baby who was born has been raised again and he sits at the right hand of the Father where it is perfect and where he is ultimately in control. And then the writer of Hebrews says he's superior to angels. In the early church, angel worship was a, a thing. Uh, it, was a, it was a bad thing and it was a thing that the writers of uh, that Paul specifically in the New Testament speaks against. We shouldn't worship angels. It's kind of hard for us to understand, I, I think. It's not something that, that, especially in our kind of church, our kind of theological and um, practical leanings at this church, it's not something that's ever I've been around or or understood or felt or anything like that. But it was a thing. Like they're saying, well, Jesus was cool, but look, like angels are really cool, and we're going to worship these angels. And it doesn't come up in the book of Hebrews, but in 13.9, the author says something about strange teachings, and angel worship could be a part of that. And so here, this statement is not out of nowhere, like Jesus is made superior to angels. Like, that's something I think for us, it's like, well, duh. I love when I get a chance to say duh, and it fits really well. Like, I mean, come on. Like, we, we get that. Like, obviously, Jesus is better. I mean, like, don't be an idiot. But this was like a real difficult thing. And for the people reading this, this sermon, this letter, they, they may have been worshiping 
Angels. Saying, well, that Jesus guy was cool, but angels, you know, they're not like men. They're something like, you know, more metaphysical. So let's worship them instead. Now here's kind of just to get right back to what we're talking about this morning and what you need to grasp just to get back to it. Uh, you can read uh, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its punishment, dot, dot, dot. You're like, you didn't even finish the sentence because that's the important part. See, there was a belief It's not in the Old Testament. You don't read it, but there was a belief and a tradition that said when Moses got the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that were for the Israelite people, the angels were part of delivering it to him. And so Moses is up on this mountain with God, but the angels are like the deliverers of the law for the people. And you see, for a person who's Jewish, going, well, Jesus was cool, but I'm going to worship these angels. What, what the writer is saying is, hey, time out. Like, I need you to understand something. Like, it might have been cool that the angels helped in delivering the law, but now something much greater is here. And, and why does he say that Jesus is greater? Because he has received this name. And the name most likely is that of Son. You see, the angels and their delivering of anything to us or to to the Old Testament prophets has no comparison to what Jesus has said to us by being born and living on this earth because only Jesus is the true Son of God. You see, the reason that it's such a better form of communication is because Jesus is God's Son. And he's the exact representation. And he does everything that God does because he's part of a triune Godhead. And sometimes, even today, even with passages like this, we think, well, if I just could hear from God. If God would just speak to me. And I think God's looking down going, I did. And I spoke in the most perfect way possible because I came down there and spoke a language that you could actually understand. You know that God is infinite and he has infinite wisdom. You know how hard it must be in a humanly thinking way to like communicate with people like us. Have you ever like tried to communicate with a two-year-old? Have you ever tried to do that? Like have you ever tried to have a conversation with a two-year-old? You're like trying to find words. Sometimes you're making up words and you're trying to like say things and you start using a really high voice. I don't know why that seems to work. And, and you're like, if I can just, like they don't get it, but I need them to get it because otherwise they're going to stick their finger in the socket. And so what, I mean, and I just think that that's how it is when God communicates with us. Like if God just spoke God, I don't know what that is. But if God just spoke God down to us, if he was just like, I'm just going to speak how I speak, we would be like, clueless, man. Don't have a clue what you're talking about. But instead, he said, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do so I can communicate with you. I'm going to become like you. I'm going to be born a helpless little baby in a manger, and I'm going to live a normal life fully human with all the flesh and all the pain and all the hurt and all the difficulty and all the adolescence and all the death and all the meanness and all the being made fun of, I'm going to take that on and I'm going to live the way that I want you to live. 
And I'm going to live a life that points you to what I need you to see. And that is that I want to have a relationship with you. I mean, I want a relationship with you so bad that I actually came to the earth to be with you and to die so that we might be together forever. You see, we just want to say like, yeah, Jesus came and he died. But God is saying through the writer of Hebrews, Jesus came and he lived. He did it so that you could learn about God and from God. There is no greater communication than to be able to communicate through becoming just like somebody. Through experiencing and suffering the same things that they suffer, but then showing them how they ought to live. I used to have this English teacher, Mrs. McKinney, I think. That just came to me out of nowhere. Um, Mrs. McKinney. And uh, one thing that I do remember is, is I think we did a creative writing segment. And she would always say, show, don't tell. And that statement stuck with me. What she meant is when you're writing, don't say like, you know, don't write like the Hunger Games and say like, she looked left, you know, and saw a green thing. Like somehow show that to your reader in a way that makes them feel like they are there, that gives them a more vivid picture of what is taking place. And this is, this is what Christmas is all about, partly. God said, I've been telling, I've been telling, I've been telling, I've been telling. And it's time for me to show. You see, I want you this Christmas to look at Jesus, and, and the whole goal for the next four weeks is really just to say, well, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that God became a man. And one of the reasons it's a big deal is because when Jesus was born in that helpless little baby named Jesus, when Jesus was a three-year-old obeying his parents, when Jesus was going through middle school, when Jesus was a carpenter, when Jesus was dying on the cross, all of it mattered because he was a human and he was showing us how to be a human that pleases God. It's a big deal that God became a man because in becoming a man, it was the perfect form of communication for us that are human beings. Here's, here's what I think. Here's what I think you need to do. For some, you need to become a Christian. I mean, it's like the worst excuse. It's like literally the worst excuse. It's like slapping God in the face when people say like, well, if God would just give me a sign. That's what people said literally to Jesus. Like they actually said that to him. Jesus is standing there, the perfect form of communication, wandering around on the earth. I don't know if he had memories of his heavenly state or not, but let's just pretend he did. Going, man, it was so good up there. Like this meatloaf is terrible to, compared to what I was eating in heaven, you know? And, and, and like now you're asking me for a sign. I am your sign. But people were still doing it thousands of years later. Like if, God, if God would just, just speak to me, God, he has. And he spoke in a much better form than if somebody walked up to you with a prophecy or if he had a, a, a rushing wind come through or if you saw sparkling in the sky because you'd find a way to go, yeah, well, it could have been a plane or something. 
He spoke by coming to earth and living and showing you how much he loved you and how much he wanted a relationship with you. And so the excuse, well, I just need to hear from God. If you would do a miracle, yeah, it's a miracle that God became a man. Give your life to Jesus. Stop using the excuse that he hasn't spoken because he has spoken in the perfect way. And then others of us who are Christians, who believe this. You believe Hebrews 12, one th- excuse me, 1, 1 through 4. You actually believe this. And yet you spend little, little, little time learning about the life of Jesus. If this story that is written down for us in four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is God's greatest form of communication to man, it's the recording of God's greatest form of communication to people. The life of Jesus. How dare we treat it like some book that is just super boring? I should read the dictionary more. You know, then I'd be really smart. That's how we act about the Bible. Like, this is the record of God's communication in its greatest form to you. You're going to go through this Christmas. It's going to be really easy. Like Brandon said earlier, Come, we're going to sing songs. It's going to make you feel good. You're going to go buy your presents. You're going to go through the motions. You're going to spend another Christmas saying, yeah, Christmas is cool. I'll celebrate Jesus at Easter, though. Isn't that kind of how it happens? Like, yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season. Don't take that away from me, but I'm going to act like, you know, everything else is. Or you can say God became a man, and it is the greatest form of communication that God could have chosen. And you can celebrate the fact that God did not sit in heaven speaking God, saying, hey, good luck translating, good luck figuring it all out, but he came as the incarnate deity. And here's what I have to say to you. So if you're a Christian, here's something I want you to do in this next week. This is, I want, and even if you're not a Christian, I think this would be a great activity because you know, you're saying, well, God hasn't spoken, whatever. I, I want you to go, and I want you to read just a little bit about the life of Jesus. Just pick up a Bible, beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just read it. And don't just read it like, I need to read this, that guy said, this pastor said, Chad said. Just like, Just look at it. And go, wow, this is what God is like. And this is what God has to say to me. And this shows me how much God loves me and cares about me and wants a relationship with me. Just take a moment. And then when you're done, just sit. And this is what I'm asking. Read a section. I don't care how big it is. And then just sit. Just go, wow, God became a man. I'm going to celebrate this Christmas, the incarnate Christ. Remember that it is a big deal that God has communicated with me in such a perfect and profound way. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. I just want to thank you that you have come, Lord, that you came. And Lord, just on a totally personal level, maybe something that that others, I don't know, experience or whatever, got it. For me, there are so many times when I struggle and say, is that God? That God that's making me think this way, that's making me feel this way, 
And it is your holy word that always brings me back to truth. And it's in large part looking at your son and saying, does it line up with what he said through his life, the way in which he lived? Jesus, I want to thank you for coming and leaving the glory of heaven to become a human being. God, we deal with so much. I mean, life is painful in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And you came, Lord, you came so that you could speak to us. And so I thank you for that specifically. God, I ask for every person that's here this morning that this Christmas, as they, as they celebrate your birth, they would, God, begin, and even this morning begin, to really understand, and not just to understand intellectually, Lord, but, but in their souls, understand why it is a big deal that you became a person. Lord, I pray that every person that's here would take time this week to read a section from the Gospels and to go, wow, this is what God has to say. This is what God is like. This is how much God loved me and loves me. I pray, God, for anybody who doesn't know you as their Savior and who's looking, God, and they're saying, I'd become a Christian if I just heard from God, if I just saw a sign, that they, that they would recognize now, God, that you have spoken in the best way that they could understand through your Son. Lord, we thank you for not being a God who wound up our earth and said good luck, but a God who is willing to come into the nitty-gritty of our lives and deal with all the muck and the mire, God, and show us your love. And I pray, God, that as we go through this Christmas season and we think about you, the incarnate God, God in flesh, the God-man, that it would excite us, it would overjoy us, and it would cause us to sing these Christmas songs in a new way. And God, we would celebrate differently because, because we get why it was a big deal that you took on flesh. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.